Have you ever tried out the Atkins diet? It's a high-protein, low-sugar, low-carb diet. You know, I, I tried the Atkins diet um, one time. And it started out about a week before my birthday, and then my birthday came around, and I had to make a choice. Adkins or chocolate cake? Chocolate cake was good. You know, I was actually doing pretty good until that chocolate cake came out. And uh, that Atkins diet came to an unceremonious end on that day. But, uh, you know, here's the thing with low-carb diets like Adkins. You've got to completely eliminate unnecessary sugars, and we can have a debate about what's unnecessary. But you've got to eliminate unnecessary sugars, and, and you also are supposed to cut way back or even try to eliminate breads. You know, and I don't know which is harder to give up, sugars or breads. Because bread, everyone loves bread. I mean, bread is just found in just about any society you go to. <coughs> bread is practically universal. We've got entire aisles in stores that are just dedicated to bread. We have, in fact, we have stores that are dedicated to bread. It's a proven fact that if you're driving down the street and you smell the bread coming from a bakery, that that smell will take over control of your car and make you pull in. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Someone should do something about that, you know? When Amy and I went on vacation to uh, Las Vegas uh, about a year ago or so, we took an Uber. And now, Uber, for those of you that are still in the last millennium, an Uber's like a taxi, okay? So we took an Uber. Um, from our hotel to what they call Old Vegas. <coughs> Excuse me, there's a, there's a place there in Old Vegas called the Donut Bar. And uh, we specifically needed to try out, needed, it wasn't a want, it was a need, needed to try out the Donut Bar. And Amy got the Strawberry Split Donut. And this donut is a perfectly made raised, sugared donut filled with whipped cream and strawberries. And Amy took a bite of that donut, and she said, Oh, you can't beat this. This is it right here. Well, I, on the other hand, I got the French toast donut. The French toast donut is also perfectly made. It's raised and glazed. It is dipped in French toast batter, put on the griddle, and then they put a dollop of butter on top and serve it with warm maple syrup. Amy asked me if she could take a bite of mine, and I was gracious enough to allow that. And after she took a bite of mine, she said, you win. <laughs> what happened in Vegas was eaten in Vegas. You know, I, I would just say we were not disappointed. Our expectations were exceeded, and I don't know if we've ever looked at bread quite the same way. You know, you can go to the remotest village on the face of the earth, and most likely you'll be able to find somewhere a millstone and some type of oven, something serving as an oven, to create a loaf of bread. And if I were to ask everybody in, their, in this room right now, if we did a survey and I were to ask you, what is your least favorite food. I think at the end of the exercise, we'd have a long list of certain vegetables and meats, but I honestly don't know if anyone would say bread 
is on that list. <coughs> so, bread is very important. Amy and I invited our daughter, Mindy, and her fiancé, Christian, to have dinner with us. And I asked uh, Mindy, what does Christian like to eat? And she said, Italian food. And I said, well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to cook him my lasagna. Now, cooking is a hobby of mine for two reasons. Number one, um, you're providing in a very tangible way actual life to the people that you eat with, people that you love. And secondly, I like cooking because I like what it leads to, which is eating. Um, so I got the olive oil and the yellow onion and the meat and the tomatoes and the uh, tomato paste and the oregano and the basil and the uh, garlic uh, powder and the salt and the pepper and the lasagna noodles and the Romano cheese and the mozzarella cheese and I'm fixed up this masterpiece, right? And as I served it, I served it along with two types of bread, a white French baguette and a sourdough baguette because uh, you've got to have bread when you have lasagna. I think Moses received those instructions, you know. It, it's, just, it's just the rule. And some people like the sourdough. Most of us like the sourdough more than the, the white, but others prefer the white. You know, you go to different restaurants in town. Different restaurants are known for their bread. You think about Texas Roadhouse and their buttery rolls. Or Olive Garden and uh, their breadsticks. You think about Outback Steakhouses, dark bread. I don't know what they call it. I just call it the dark bread. It's really good, too. But even your favorite pizza would not be your favorite pizza if the, if the crust wasn't right. You know, if, if that crust is wrong, you can put the best ingredients in the world on a, on a bad crust, and it's not a good pizza. And so bread is just really, really integrated into the life of almost everyone. You know, unless you're somehow allergic to bread, you have a medical condition, practically everyone uses bread and enjoys bread satisfied by bread. I mean, no matter how you slice it, bread is universal. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Make sure you tip your waitress. All right. So it's no wonder that the very first analogy that Jesus used to describe what he could offer us was bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And what I want you to know is, as we begin this new series on, the, on eight different I am statements from Jesus, <clears throat> is that the key to obtaining what you truly need in life is to understand what Jesus offers you. Let me say that again. The key to obtaining what you truly need in life is to understand what Jesus offers you. And so when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was speaking to all of us. He was speaking to you. There's something similar to bread that Jesus offers you. And today we'll be in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. I invite you to turn there, if you would. And since we already know the claim that Jesus makes when he says, I am the bread of life, I want you to pay, to pay close attention to something in the background. Something sort of secondary, because the claim itself is primary. I am the bread of life. That's the claim. That's primary. But secondarily, I want you to pay attention to the response of the people to that claim. 
And the reason that's important for us today is because your response and my response to Jesus will be one of the responses that Jesus received in that day when he said, I'm the bread of life. And so I'm not going to have you stand because we're going to be reading an extensive portion of Scripture today and we'll be traveling through uh, throughout the sermon reading different portions of Scripture. But in John chapter 6, verse 3, we read, Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This Jesus was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered Jesus, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. Verse 8, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. So there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, a number about five thousand, Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they, the people, were filled, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled, the twel- filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14 is key for us today. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. That was the response. This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Everything about this Story looks good so far. The response from the people looks good so far. They recognize this is a miraculous feeding. This is from God. Something interesting, something powerful is happening here. And they believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of an ancient Jewish prophecy about the coming of a prophet. Now, where did they get this idea? They got this idea from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And if you want to turn back to that passage, the fifth, chapter, fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, this is Moses speaking to the people. He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. And the rest of that chapter goes on to describe this prophecy about a prophet who was to come. And so this prophecy that there was going to come someone like Moses who would be the prophet, singular, one prophet, not multiple prophets, throughout which Israel did have throughout Israel's history, but there would be one prophet, singular, like a prophet among prophets, one above all. One prophet who would come, and this prophet, what made him distinct was he would be like Moses. And you start to ask, well, okay, what did Moses do? One of the things we know Moses did was when the people of Israel were out in the wilderness, Moses, it was really God, 
But Moses provided manna from heaven. He provided bread from heaven for the people every single day. And so you can see how the people in Jesus' day might be looking for someone that might provide them a miraculous feeding of bread. And here comes Jesus. He feeds the 5,000 bread and fish. And you can see how they could say, this, this man, Jesus, he is the prophet that we've been waiting for all these years. But there was something that sort of went a little bit sideways on this, on their interpretation. Because so far I would agree, I would agree with them. Deuteronomy 18 does talk about one prophet who would be like Moses, and that is Jesus. He is the prophet. In fact, Jesus fulfills more than just that. He is the Old Testament prophet, priest, and king that are all uh, foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures. But things went off the rails on the interpretation of the people of Jesus' day. And here's why. What else did Moses do? Well, Moses obviously was known for leading God's people out of slavery from Israel's enemy in that day, Egypt. And so Moses led them out of slavery... And the people in Jesus' day were thinking, guess what he's going to do? Guess what Jesus is going to do? We have oppressors in our day, the Romans. And Jesus is going to lead us to political freedom. He's going to make us politically independent of the Romans. And so if he does that, and and this Jesus, who can obviously feed an army, just give him a few pieces of fish and loaves, and he can feed anyone... If this Jesus can defeat Caesar, then Jesus will be our new king. And so they wanted to make Jesus a political king. But that was not on Jesus' agenda. Look at the next verse back in John chapter 6. In John 6, verse 15, we read, So Jesus, perceiving they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself, alone. You see, the people misunderstood who Jesus was. They didn't understand who he was. They had an idea in their mind of what they wanted done. And they figured this Jesus could do it for them. They had one desire, political freedom from Rome, and they ascribed the fulfillment of that desire to Jesus. Let me put it this way. Instead of seeking Jesus for who Jesus truly was, they sought to make Jesus in their own image. And I think we have a lot of people that like to do that today. I mean, I see liberals, I see conservatives, I see protesters, I see patriots, I see Democrats, I see Republicans, all claiming Jesus as one of their own. Everyone with an agenda wants to make Jesus in their own image. But somehow, I get the feeling that Jesus is perfectly suited for the role that the Father gave him, which is Lord over all. I remember being at one Southern Baptist convention, where, and it's a big business meeting, that's really what it is, and, and one man stood up and he was uh, uh, speaking for his allotted three minutes, and at the end of the three minutes he said, We need to vote Jesus in as president. And the president of the Southern Baptist Convention got to the microphone and he said, Jesus has a greater title than that. He's Lord over all. 
You know, the response that Jesus wants from us is not that we would use him to somehow carry out our mission, to fulfill our desires. The response that Jesus wants from us is that we would recognize that he is on mission. He has a mission from the Father, and he invites us to join him on that mission. Let's continue in John chapter 6. We read verse 15. Jesus perceived they were going to take him by force and make him king, so he withdrew to the mountain to be by himself. Verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And so this, this, this path across the sea, it's probably about eight miles, nine miles, something like that, to get to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse 18, the sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind that was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Verse 22, the next day the crowd... The, uh, that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no one, no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they had eat, ate the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats. And came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus exposed the reason, the motivation, why the crowd sought after him. They were hungry. Jesus could feed them. They thought they had a good deal going. And so they sought out Jesus some more. They got what they wanted from Jesus. And as long as they got what they wanted from Jesus, they would keep coming back to Jesus. Not really part of Jesus' plan. Verse 27. Jesus continues. He says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. In other words, God has approved of the Son of Man who will give you eternal life. <clears throat> Verse 28, Therefore they, they responded, they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That verse is so important. <clears throat> this is the work of God. There is one work that God has given us to do. It is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ means to follow Him. It is to believe in Him for who He is. 
is Lord over all. And as Lord over all, that means Lord over my life, Lord over your life. And so if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're willing to follow Him all the days of our lives, and we are willing to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and do His will and not our own, we put our own desires aside, we crucify our own desires so that we can do the work of God, so that we can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are willing to do that, then Jesus says, we have obtained eternal life. We have the bread that is eternal life. What shall we do that we may do the works of God, that we may work the works of God? Jesus said, believe. That is the work of God. That's it. Verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Notice a couple of things. First of all, the people, when Jesus said, believe in the Son of Man, believe in me, when Jesus said that, the people refused to believe the words Jesus said. They wanted a sign. This is one of the clearest signs that distinguish between a believing heart and an unbelieving heart. When God speaks, a believing heart says yes. But when God speaks, an unbelieving heart says no. What do you do when God speaks? You see, whatever you do, when God speaks, your heart is revealed by that response. Jesus told the people very clearly what they are to do. They are simply to believe. And their response was, well, we're not going to believe until you perform a miracle. Prove it, Jesus. Do you see the irony here? This is part of the same crowd that Jesus fed the day before. There are others in this crowd now who had obviously heard about it. But Jesus had just performed a miracle feeding over 5,000 men, not including women and children. And yet they say to him, do a miracle. They want more. And then they add to the irony by pointing to Moses and the manna in the wilderness as an example. Hey, look what happened so long ago with Moses. He fed people manna miraculously. They got miracle bread, Jesus. What are you going to do? They couldn't remember to the day before. Or actually, they could. But that's the sign of an unbelieving heart. The sign of an unbelieving heart will look at Jesus... And all of the miracles that Jesus did, and an unbelieving heart will say, nah, I'm not sure about who Jesus is. I'm not really sure if Jesus is who he claims he is. And they have the same Bible that you and I have, and they can read all the eyewitness testimonies about Jesus healing people, restoring sight to the blind, making the lame walk, Raising the dead, 
And unbelieving hearts even today say, eh, I'm not too sure. He's probably a good man. I don't know what else someone could expect from whatever they have in their mind as a Messiah for the world. If you look at the things that Jesus did, he's already provided numerous signs, and yet people in that day said, hey, can't you be more like Moses? People in our day say much the same thing. But you know, the, the kicker is, Moses didn't actually accomplish the miracle of the manna. God did. But they ascribed it to Moses. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They had no idea he was standing right in front of them. The bread of God who comes from heaven and gives life to the world was standing right in front of them. And they couldn't see it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them very clearly, he said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread that has come down from heaven and gives life to all of those who would come to him and believe in him. The problem is not a lack of miracles. The problem does not sit in Jesus' lap. The problem is the belief that sits in our lap or the unbelief. The problem is a lack of belief. Jesus said in verse 36, But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And here we have a very clear understanding that not everybody who goes to church understands who Jesus really is. Not everyone who claims to be a follower of God truly is a follower of the living God. Not everyone who claims to follow Jesus truly follows Jesus. Because we have religious people who experienced a miracle from God the day before. They're looking at the very Son of God on that day, and they're saying, Ah, it's not enough, Jesus. Do more. The very Son of God is standing right in front of them. And Jesus says to them in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. By the way, believer, that is a wonderful promise from Jesus. If you come to him, he's not going to kick you to the curb. He's not going to kick you aside. He's not going to cast you out. Oh, but what if I mess up? Have you read your Bible? Have you seen the cast of characters that followed Jesus 
the problems they had, they're very much like our problems today. Yeah, you might mess up, but Jesus will not cast you out. If you are truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if the Father has given you to the Lord, and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will not cast you out. Verse 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all He has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. Believer, if you are a part of all that the Father has given Jesus, if you are truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will not lose you. Jesus will lose nothing. And not only that, He will raise you up. On the last day, he'll take this broken down body that deteriorates, that gets sick and gets diseases. And on the last day, even if it has passed away and it is decomposing in a grave somewhere, he will make it brand new and he'll raise it up on that day. It's a promise from God. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on that day. What I present to you today from John chapter 6 is a choice. And you can choose to be like one of the crowd and look squarely at the person of Jesus Christ and go away doubting. Go away unsure. You can look at Jesus and say, I choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can make that decision today. You can make that decision right here in church today to forever, once and for all, say to God, no. I do not choose to follow Jesus Christ. You have that freedom. You have that opportunity to say no to God. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you would make a different choice. So that you would make the choice that so many of us in this room have, that you would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Yes, I believe. Yes, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Yes, I recognize that you, Jesus, are Lord over my life. And so I submit to you. Whatever you want to do with my life, I give it to you. I crucify my desires. I put myself aside. Jesus, I simply want to follow you. Come rain or shine, good or bad, heartaches or triumphs, whatever you have for me, Jesus, I say yes to you. That is the person that Jesus is looking for. The person who would say in their heart, I'm ready to believe in you. My question for you today is, are you ready to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ?